0: Welcome to Under Review, the show where we take a fresh and hopefully a uh, inter- entertaining look at current sports events. Uh, I'm your host, Mondo Lee, and I'm joined by Kevin Curry, the co-host. How are you doing, Kevin? I'm fine. Thank you for inviting me. Great, great. Yeah, I'm looking forward to having a good, good conversation with you. Uh, now, like I said, the, the purpose of the show is we're going to talk about current sports events and other issues that are sports-related. Uh, and, of course, you know, during this uh, lockdown where the entire sports world is at a complete standstill, there aren't any games or, or actual uh, ongoing sports events to discuss. So what we're going to do now is uh, talk about things that are kind of like sports-adjacent, I guess, for back, lack of a better way to put it. And leading that list or topping that list would be, I think, the – the uh ESPN show The Last Dance that just finished its run on uh on ESPN uh chronicling the Michael Jordan uh Chicago Bulls era. So uh Kevin yeah I'm assuming you saw the Last Dance, right? I sure did. It was terrific.
1: It was a great docu-series on the Chicago Bulls during that decade of the 1990s. It was great.
0: Yeah, I I thought it was good. I mean, it it definitely, you know, I think you and I are around the same age. It it brought back some nostalgia for me, uh, having lived through that era. Uh, But, you know, it it brought back good nostalgia and bad nostalgia. And I I could go into that a little further. But uh, what's your take on it? Are you you a Bulls fan or are you a Bulls hater or neither? I am a
1: Celtics fan. So I'm going to do my best to not sound biased when I give my interpretation of The Last Dance. Uh, well, basically, you kind of hit the nail on the head when you said that it was during a time period that, you know, we both grew up idolizing the Bulls and Michael Jordan for what he was able to produce with the team that he had and with the coach that he had. And, you know, if if you're a fan of basketball, never mind the Bulls, and if you're able to watch this documentary, you saw maybe two or three things from this documentary that you might've either seen before and forgotten about it, or might've been reintroduced in a different light, different perspective. Uh, The first thing that came to my mind when I saw The Last Dance was a depiction of what we thought the Chicago Bulls would have been if things did not coincide with the uh, rough waters of GM, Jerry Krause, and. and Phil Jackson. And interesting enough, when you watch that documentary, m- many of us that had seen the Bulls during that time period knew what the Bulls were capable of. So when you saw it again in this documented series, you couldn't help but marvel over how great, how outstanding this team was. And a lot of it stemmed from the fact that Michael Jordan orchestrated what was probably the best team of all time during the period of 1991 to 1998, uh, a lot of things, of course, were introduced in the docu series that w- was brought to my attention for the first time, like the relationship between Krause and Phil Jackson. And it was a it was a bittersweet feeling knowing that this team was so successful. However, everything in business in the office was so toxic, and because it was so toxic, you did not see what this team could have been over the course of five years, even after 1998. So for what people probably saw, they saw a great team, a great regime with great players. At the same time, you saw the downfall of that great team. And if you're brand new to basketball, let's just say you're a teenager, you probably were introduced or reintroduced to what basketball is all about, fundamentally, mechanically, and I guess to some degree emotionally,
0: and this is what yeah. you saw in this documented series. Yeah, yeah, and, you know, I, I can't disagree with any of that. Uh, but but I will say that my my reaction to it was much more emotional, and I was I was kind of thinking about it, and it really tracked my my living through it at the same time. And you know, I'll, I'll explain. So when Jordan first came on the scene in the mid '80s, you know, I was really you know, I was like, wow, this is a you know, hot new. Good player, a little bit of a variation from the Lakers, Celtics. You know the Magic Bird stuff. You know he was sure. flying through the air, dunking. He had some nice shoes. You know everybody wanted Air Jordans. You know, so right. uh, I was I was on board with Jordan up until like the nineties. You know, the early nineties when they were, when they won their first championship. And then I'm like, uh, you know, I've had enough of Jordan. Uh, <laughs> and then you know he eliminated my uh, my Knicks. Uh, you know, on many occasions. And, and and by the time by the time they made their run, you know, when they talk about the last dance, I, I was like a full blown uh Jordan hater. I'm like, you know, enough of this cat. He gets all the calls. I mean the NBA is fixed. I'm mean, I'm just tired of Jordan, you know. <laughs> right, and, right. And, and, and watching the last dance, I had that exact same progression. I'm like the first couple episodes, I'm like, oh man, this is cool. It's good to reminisce. And then by the tenth, the tenth show, I'm like, man, you know, this is bullcrap. <laughs> <laughs> why, did, why, did, why did they even make this thing? You know? So right, it was pretty. It was pretty interesting the way that progressed. But uh, like you said, man, it, it really does, nonetheless, show a uh, a light, you know, shed a light into what it takes to really be a uh, a successful champion. You know, at the highest level. You know, absolutely, and uh, absolutely, whether you like him or dislike him, Jordan. I mean, he won. You know, right, right. It 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 just proved that. His craft, his work
1: was something that nobody, I mean, we're talking about other All-Stars that he played against, whether it was in the playoffs, in the Eastern Eastern Conference, or in the finals. He played against a number of All-Stars and defeated all of them. So he had a system that was foolproof. Phil Jackson had a system that was foolproof. And he had a team that was willing to respond to what was needed to get the job done. And who who could challenge that? Who who would sit back and say, "Well, you know what? You know Jordan—he was too much of a bully," which I've heard before. Believe me, if if it meant if it meant to win, if it meant winning championships, if he was characterized as being a bully, then so be it. It was a question of, well, did you want to win a championship or did you want to struggle throughout your career? And if you wanted to win, which was the case with a lot of those guys. Then these were the steps you had to follow. And it might come with some, as they say, quote, unquote, tough love coming from Michael Jordan. But, you know, based off what we saw in the documentary, there might have been some naysayers about what Jordan was all about. But in the end, the people that played with him throughout that career, throughout that time frame, spoke volumes of him in spite of the things that he did with that team.
0: Right. Well, that's interesting you bring that up, because that, that's that's a question I have is 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 it should it be when it all cost or, you know, the fact is, you know, let's let's be honest. Jordan, I think by a lot of accounts is, you know, he's pretty much a jerk. Uh, a lot of people you know don't <laughs> like his personality. I mean, it's not and it's not just the last dance. I mean, you know, he he gave maybe one of the most ridiculous Hall of Fame acceptance speeches ever where he just went on. And he, I mean, he settled grudges from like fourth grade. In his Hall of Fame speech, <laughs> and, you know, it just to me, it just became, it became a little unseemly. And also, Kevin, I'll be honest, and I hope I don't get too personal here, but I, I you know, I, I, you know, I played high school football, and I remember one man who, and this is a lesson I I carried throughout my life, who kind of instilled in me, you know, it's how you carry yourself. It's not always wins and losses, and you know, and that was that was your dad actually, uh, oh, who, who okay. always 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 gave that example of. It's how you play the game, and it's not just necessarily, it's not just necessarily winning at all costs. Now, obviously, winning is important to him. Winning is important to everybody. I'm not, I'm not saying winning is not important, and winning is, right. you know, if you're competing, winning's, win, winning's the ultimate thing. But I, I just wonder, you know, is there, a, is there a line that you don't want to go over, or you, you think you shouldn't go over in terms of in pursuit of winning? Well, that's a great
1: question. And I think in all fairness, we have to break it down based off levels. So if we're talking about high school, if we're talking about anything remotely close to college level, I think what you instill in your players is just what you said. Fundamentally, we're out here to win. Let's work together as a unit. And we're talking about basketball here. So we're going to just focus on basketball. If everybody can come to an accord, where everybody can dedicate as much time to this game, meaning in practice, outside of practice, to maintain some type of uh, coercion between your players. You know, These are the ingredients to a winning team and a winning style. And that's what makes a lot of these players better because they have coaches that can instill that in the player. So if you're talking about a high school level, it makes all the sense in the world based on what you just said to make and get the job done within that field. However, once you've left high school, and gone to college, and of course gone professional, it's more of a, you know, all rules kind of go out the window, especially at a professional level. It really does come down to, I'm the man here, I'm the top dog, and, and you know, I don't want to get off subject, but let's talk about Magic Johnson during the 80s. Let's talk about Isaiah Thomas during the 80s. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit about Larry Bird. They all had that that, that, that killer instinct to, to let's go out there, do what's necessary to win at whatever cost. And they talked trash and they backed mm-hmm. it up and it shows with the championships. And funny enough, Jordan eluded that in his documented series that it took the bad boys or the Detroit Pistons, to put them in the mind frame that we have to do the same thing in order for us to reach that plateau of championship level. It took eight right. years to do that. And before long, he had the pieces in place to move on to the next level, which was, of course, the finals. So maybe it was, he was basically he was basically learning off the same people that have already invented that whole concept Years in advance before Jordan even took the floor, Jordan came in in '84. By that time, Magic Johnson was, of course, a phenomenon with the Showtime Tinseltown Lakers. Then, of course, Isaiah Thomas had his time with the Bad Boys in Detroit for those few years. So, this is all indicative of what it is and what it takes to get to that status that Jordan hit. And I think once he hit that, once he hit that plateau of greatness. And he was able to win championships. And he had the right coach in play to help instill that that uh, that game, the, the, the triangle offense. Mm-hmm. I think it was just, it was one of those situations where you can't look back now. And he became the general of that team. He made sure everybody was on the same page. And as much as we know, Jordan probably said a lot of crap that he probably should not have said. To motivate his team, to works. <laughs> right.
0: So who right, who's right, going to challenge right.
1: that? Right. It's about the championship. Yeah. it's
0: all huh? Or yeah, I mean, that's true. And, and actually, you make a real good point in making that distinction between levels. You know, yeah, sportsmanship at the high school level is a little different from sportsmanship at the collegiate and definitely the pro level, and the way and Absolutely. the way you and what you do in order to win. Right. So that, that's that's Absolutely. actually a real good point, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because uh, yeah, you can't you can't act like you mean know, you don't because you don't line up and shake hands. You know, at the end of an NBA uh, game, you know, that's correct. It's, uh, that's you correct. won and you celebrate. Yeah, so that's that's a good that's a good point way to way to look at it. I still don't like Jordan though, so I'm going to stick <laughs> to that. <laughs> and, uh, I could probably I could probably
1: nod to that too, based on what he did with the Celtics. But you know what? Uh, it was his time, and uh, you probably yeah. can't summarize it any better. It was Jordan's time. He was successful, and he had proved to the world that it took him to go out there and win some games along with
0: Scottie Pippen and Phil Jackson. So the rest yeah, is history. Yeah, you know what, at the end of the day, rest is history. You can't argue with that. So getting into that a little more about Jordan, uh, you know, one of the current debates about Jordan, you know, I've had this with my uh, with my kids who you know, teenagers, uh, you know, so obviously the person people compare Jordan to the most now, at least, or at least the two people are uh, LeBron and Kobe. And so, where do, where do you stand on uh, on that on that debate? You know, who who's the better? I mean, who's the goat between, say, LeBron and Jordan, and maybe even well, Kobe in the mix? Uh, this is what I. This
1: is my interpretation of that. We have players now in the NBA outside of, of course, Kobe Bryant, that served his career with the Lakers for twenty seasons. We have players in the league now that try their best to emulate Jordan, and whether it's something that they set their mind to or if it's something that's been uh, manipulated by the media to say, well, he may be the next Kobe Bryant or the next Michael Jordan, Uh, it it really does come down to the ethic of that player to determine if he wants to be in the light or in the shadow of a former uh, Michael Jordan or Kobe Bryant. But if we're talking about just Bryant and LeBron James, I have to believe their style of play in some way emulate or emulated what Michael Jordan did in his prime. So the idea would be, if I need to be good, if I want to win championships, what better person to follow? What better person to study than Michael Jordan? And Kobe Bryant was proud enough to say, hey, listen, the only way I'm going to be successful in the league is to follow what it is you've done asked for the advice and it's sad that we have to talk about this in past tense because of what Kobe Bryant went through with the heli- helicopter crash but just based off mm-hmm. the the uh, eulogy that was given a lot of it was just Kobe just wanting to be so much like Michael Jordan and then you see LeBron James coming to the scene and whether he wanted to be more like Michael or if he wanted to be more like Kobe he knew that these were the people in front of him that he had to also emulate, that he also had to be uh, matched as far as work ethic, progressions on the court, the length of time, uh, the number of championships. And when we talk about LeBron James, we don't see a LeBron James that can somehow meet that statistic with regards to the number of championships. So it really does come down to if these guys were ever in, a, in any position where they could have come close to being like Michael Jordan. And the only person I can say that is, is, is Kobe Bryant.
0: Yeah. I, you know, I, I hear you, but I, I think, you know, you got to give props to LeBron and the fact that LeBron in the fact, even though he hasn't had the same, uh, you know, number of chips, I mean, the dude did go to what seven, eight, was it eight or nine straight NBA finals? I mean, on yes. uh, two different teams. Yes. Is, you know, is I mean, crazy. Yeah, I mean, he's I mean, that that to me shows a level of dominance that uh, I don't know if we've seen since, uh, you know, probably since, you know, Bill Russell and the Celtics in the 60s. I mean, it's just uh, it's pretty incredible. Uh, Now, now don't get me wrong. I think honestly, I think LeBron probably would have to take a second seat to um, to Jordan in terms of just being a winner, being a champion. Uh, But I mean, I, I, you know, I I think as just a skilled player, we've never seen someone LeBron's size who also has has the skills he has, you know? So that, that, to me, puts him in that debate in terms of greatest player ever.
1: And I'll chime on that because you bring up a good point. If you look at the statistics from Jordan at the time that he was in the playoffs, along with Kobe Bryant and LeBron James, uh, interesting enough, well, let's, just, let's just say for the sake of arguing that is Jordan and then everybody else. Because based on what I found out, Jordan still holds the record today in the NBA for the most points per game in a playoff run. And we're talking about 15 years of being in the playoffs, never mind the years that he won a championship. This man averaged 33 points per game in the, the playoffs alone, just in the playoffs. Now, you, wow. you look at that number and you look at all the other numbers that probably come remotely close to that. There's Bryant and then there's James. If there's any caveat to this, it's the fact that LeBron James obviously is still playing in the league. There's a slim possibility he could catch that. But even if he went, let's say, the next few seasons injury-free, he doesn't miss a game, he probably still comes close to 33 points a game in the playoffs, but still does not exceed 33 points a game. And that's just one statistic. The fact that we're mm-hmm. talking about yeah. a man that scored nearly 34, 35 points a game is mind-blowing. So we also have to keep in consideration the fact that these guys are great guys, these outstanding players, bar none. Mm-hmm. But even for yeah. LeBron James to even be in that same light
0: with Michael Jordan, it's practically impossible. Oh, yeah, yeah. No. And and he, I'm sure he takes it as nothing but praise. And I and, and, I, and I will say this. I, I love Jordan's game on the court. Like I said, I don't particularly care for him. Maybe as a, I don't want to say it's a person because I don't know him, but just at least his right. public image is not all that all that cool with me. Whereas with LeBron, I do not like his game on the court. I mean, I don't like this whole notion that you have to team up with people to win. But off the court, I mean, he seems to be one of the one of the best athletes uh, in terms of doing community good and everything that we've ever had. I mean, LeBron is just, just seems to be an awesome human being. Uh, you know, at least off the court. So it's it's kind of interesting how that kind of works out to Yes. And I'll,
1: and I'll say this real quick. I don't want to feel as though I'm demeaning LeBron James for what he does off the court. And I, I'm not in any way trying to depict him of that. I think he's probably one of the, let's just say he's more one of the more recognized humanitarians that you'll see today in what he does in, yeah. in contribution to his family and his community And I think nothing, you know, I I think the world of LeBron and what he's doing outside of the basketball court, I just believe that for what you're looking for out of LeBron James, that you saw so much in Kobe Bryant and in Michael Jordan, is that killer instinct on the team that he's on, that he's representing to go out there and just win and then win championships. And I think that LeBron James just does not have that killer instinct. It's not a knock on him. It's just the fact that you saw it with Kobe Bryant when he he was on the court. You definitely saw it with Michael Jordan when he was on the court. And that's the one caveat that I can say that LeBron James is lacking is that instinctive desire to just win at all costs, even if it means dissolving friendships. And maybe for LeBron James, that's a little bit more important than going out
0: there and winning championships. No, I, yeah, I agree, hundred percent, man. And, I, and, and me as a fan, looking at it from a competitive basis, that's what I want to see. I want to see dudes go at it. I, I don't want to see, absolutely. you know, six, yeah, six guys riding on a banana boat on vacation together. I mean, right? Could you imagine Jor- Jordan, Magic, and Bird on a freaking banana boat you know, the whole season? I mean, it's <laughs> just crazy. It's crazy, man. So, yeah, it, absolutely. Yeah. And I, you know, I had this debate with someone recently, you know, well, they're like, well, LeBron is such a great role model. I'm like, yo, I'm a, I'm a grown man. I don't, I don't need role models. I want to to see competition on a court. You know, I want to see cats go at it, go at it hard. Yeah. So I I agree. I agree. I think, uh, I mean, LeBron will go down as an all time great without a doubt, but uh, I think he will always be, yeah, he'll always be second or third place to say a guy like uh, obviously a Jordan and even probably a Kobe as well. So, um, so let me, let, uh, let's move on to, you know, you, you raised the question about uh, the, the, the Jordan era versus today's era. Who do you think um, currently playing, obviously the, the, the Jordan era, the 80s, particularly the 80s, uh, to a lesser degree, the 90s, where were a lot rougher uh, in terms of physicality and stuff as, than, than what we see today. The 90s was not as bad as the 80s. I think, I think quite honestly, they started changing the rules because, uh, because Jordan was getting beat up by the Pistons and Celtics and all those guys. Uh, but, but it's still, even the 90s was still a little tougher, not a little, it was still a lot tougher than it is today. So what, what do you look at today you think might have been able to still, you know, done some good work in the uh, back in the day?
1: That's a very good question. Uh, because of what you just said about the rules shifting from the 80s into what is now the 2020s, uh, if there's a team that stands out, if we're talking about a team, The team that comes to my mind, obviously, would be the Golden State Warriors. And for this team, for what they've done over the period of the last five seasons is remarkable in itself. And, you know, whether they had, uh, whether they had selected, not selected, but whether they had, um, what's the word, whether they had taken Kevin Durant on that team prior to their first championship or not. Uh, We're still talking about a solidified team that was, in my opinion, coached under Mark Jackson and was Mm -hmm. basically molded under his image, his technique, his style to go out and perform. And it was just a question of time before they had the pieces in play to have the team to go out there and dominate as they did and as they're doing now. And then you look at the fact that the Steph Curry on this team that they drafted, and there's Klay Thompson on this team that they drafted, and Draymond Green that they drafted. They basically did what the Bulls did in the 80s. And it's, mm-hmm. it's it's by fate. No one knew how good or how great a player like Steph Curry was going to be outside of what Steph Curry knew. But then this, this, is, where, this is where management really comes into play because they did their homework, and they were they were – they did the best job of selecting talent that would work alongside a Steph Curry, should Steph Curry be the person that he is today. So you got Clay Thompson, and then you get a Draymond Green, and then you pick up other pieces along the way, Andre Iguodala, and then, of course, you pick up uh, Kevin Durant. Now what you have is this, this, mega, this mega team, super mega team, if you want to call it that, because Nobody had to trade for anybody. These are all free agents. These are all draftees. And you have a team that pretty much can solidify its time in NBA history as one of the best teams of all time. If you put them in a time period with the 80s, or even if you put them in a time period with the 90s, you would have seen a lot of that clash that you see now with, say, Golden State and Miami or Golden State and Boston or Golden State and whatever teams that represented the Western Conference. And this is probably the closest we're going to get to seeing just how magnificent a team this Golden State Warriors team is in large part because of what they've done to solidify themselves
0: as one of the best teams in NBA history. Yeah, you know, and a lot of people tend to take the, you know, people of a certain age tend to take the position that, well, you know, that Golden State team wouldn't have done anything back in the day. I mean, you have two, maybe two of maybe the two greatest shooters in the history of the league on the same team with Clay and and Steph. And then you add maybe one of the greatest scorers of all time in Kevin Durant. And I'm thinking, I don't, I don't care what rules you're playing under them. Those guys are going to get theirs. I mean, I I don't don't see, I mean, maybe they won't have the same level of success as they do now with the physicality, you know, you could probably rough up Steph a little bit. He's not, you know, he's not all that big, but nonetheless, he could shoot his, you know, I mean he, his range is unbelievable and nobody was shooting three pointers like that back then, you know? So it would be, uh, if you could, you know, if you had like a time, a time machine and you could take that team back the way they play to the eighties, their style would be so different from what anyone was used to that. Hey man, they, they probably could have some, I think they could have pretty good success. I think you're talking about
1: you're talking about teams of that era in the '80s and the '90s, and how they just dominated the competition. You look at the Golden State Warriors just over the last few years; they're doing the same thing. So it 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 be it would be foolish to think that the Golden State Warriors could not match up with the 1990 Bulls, and it may be just as foolish to think that if the Lakers and the Warriors from the the early 2000s going into 2005 and what have you were to go up against the Golden State Warrior team of this generation of right now, that you wouldn't see this dogfight going back and forth, whether the Lakers win one series or the Warriors win the next series. You knew that both teams would bring everything to the table because the winner obviously would probably move on and win the finals. Because that's how dominant these teams were back then with Colby and Shaq. Now you're looking at Steph and, and Clay and Draymond, you can't tell me that this Warriors team could not match up with those teams back then.
0: Yeah, I, I, I agree, man. I mean it, it's just uh you know it's it's really selling short the uh particularly the three you know lock hall of famers in terms of clay Steph and Durant, you know, all three are definitely going to be in the Hall of Fame. It's kind of selling sure. them short to say that they couldn't compete. I mean, that's. I mean, Durant is like six eleven with guard skills. I mean, who, who had that back then? <laughs> you know, exactly. But I don't think anyone had that. Back then. So it's yeah, it's just uh, you know, but I think a lot of times people, you know, especially old timers like ourselves, <laughs> tend to say, well, oh, you know, certain guys wouldn't have been able to do this, that, or other back in the day. I mean, eh, everything back in the day wasn't necessarily better. Let's uh, let's be honest about that. Right. So, uh... and just And to add to that point, not to cut you
1: off, think about how long it took for Jordan to win a championship. People think he just came into the league and immediately won a championship. No, it took nearly a decade for this man to win his first championship. So there's no guarantee into what these teams would have to go through to meet a point where they can start winning championships. But if you look at what Golden State did and the body of work they put together and in the time frame that they put together, I think it might have been three seasons. Maybe even four seasons yeah. after they let Mark Jackson go before they started winning championships. So that's what makes this team yeah. so remarkable is that we don't we overlook that part of the puzzle because it's the Golden State Warriors and and who they have. But uh they,
0: they were, they're a dominant team too, you know? Absolutely. I think I think part of it, quite honestly, stems from the they have a perception of kind of playing, uh, for lack of a better way to put it, kind of pretty boy basketball. You know, they're not out there, they're not out there banging, they're not out there grinding, right. they're just they're just More scoring finesse.
1: on you. <laughs> right. right. More finesse,
0: but it's it's still crazy because you got so many options, so many weapons, and they score so quickly, you know, people think, oh well, you know, that's not, you know, that's obviously it's not the you know, the 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 games in the nineties where the Bulls will beat the Knicks, you know, eighty five eighty. You know, you're not having that. I mean, you know, you're right. getting it, you're getting into triple digits these days. But that's just the nature of how, how the games evolved, particularly with the uh, with the three point shot, you know. So uh, Absolutely You know. So just wrapping up basketball, uh, the basketball segment quickly, wh- wh- where do you stand on whether or not the NBA should resume? Yeah, yeah, yes or no? Well, funny you ask that question because I just found out with probably the last 24
1: hours or so that they are going to resume the NBA schedule. Uh, it does raise the question if they're going to just go into the playoffs or try to finish up what's left of the schedule. That's probably the biggest question mark. But it seems as though the NBA has decided to move forward and play basketball in Orlando at Walt Disney, which is very interesting. And uh, given that everything works out regarding the quarantine process and whatever else needs to be done to finalize within management and then within the market of the NBA, uh, I think a lot of fans are just dying to see what's going to happen next moving forward with the playoffs. Uh, look at them in the face. And for the length of time, they decide to play these playoff games. Uh, I, I don't think it's going to be the long extended version of what the playoffs could be unless they decide to start the first game as a playoff game. Uh, but but the, the, I think it really does come down to the timing of matters, because I think there's also the worry of how much time it takes away from baseball. Should baseball come back? With the NFL, not too far off, they're starting off-season camp soon, so it'll be interesting to see
0: what the NBA does moving forward with this with this process. Yeah, I I think I think if they pull it off successfully, you'll start seeing the other major leagues, uh, major sports leagues like baseball, uh, football, and even hockey, kind of looking towards their example and you know on how they can start. I mean, I'm I'm you know I'm a huge baseball fan, and to me, you know, you don't have summer without baseball and I, right. I would love to see baseball restart too maybe even if it's something like basketball is planning on doing where they do all the games at a neutral site although to me that to, for baseball that to me is well baseball that, i don't know if that will work because what part of the part of the fun of baseball is that you know not every every single ballpark is different it's not like basketball where a court is a court you know sure so, um yeah it'll be interesting to see so i yeah i mean i i hope, I hope basketball gets going again and i guess whatever they do you know, as a sports fan, we'll, we'll watch it, of course. Um, maybe there will be, like, a truncated season where they're not going to just pick up where they left off. Uh, like, you know, I think, like, a lot of people pointed out, I was watching ESPN the other day, and some dudes on there pointed out that, uh, you know, you got like, half half the teams aren't even going to be, you know, that, they have no hope of making any kind of playoffs. So, you know, I, do, do you really want to waste time watching them play games? You know, I don't know. So maybe, maybe they come up with some kind of uh, modified, you know, tournament-type schedule. And, uh, you know, let, let, let us see what's going to be probably either Lakers, Clippers versus Bucks final or or maybe, you know, someone else from the East kind of sneaks in there. We'll see. Right. Right.
1: And, you know, to add to that,
0: they still have the
1: time to put together something that could work for the NBA's sake. I think the NBA still wants to try to market its 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 product to a degree where even with everything going on with the coronavirus and the the limit behind how many people can attend games or watch games. but they still want to keep that fan base intact intact? So that when the season is over, going into the off season and then the regular season again, they can gravitate these guys back into the uh, the arenas and uh, try to generate that money again. Yeah, yeah, that, that's
0: going to be the you know really that's the challenge. I mean, to be honest, going forward, it is. is. You know, yeah, we could you know yeah we, we could start with you know no fans but eventually you're going to have to have fans back at some point absolutely. and absolutely uh yeah how do you do that and I, that's the million dollar question i think right let's uh switch gears a little bit and go to what i think i mean i know for me definitely is uh, my favorite sport and that will be football and i think sure. you are, I know you're a big football dude <laughs> absolutely uh, absolutely so yeah so you touched on it earlier i mean what do you what do you think what do you think the chances are that we have a football season, and so what it, What will it look like? I believe
1: there is a 99.9 chance that we will see football <laughs> kick off on time. I, don't, I can't see wow. any conflictions. I can't see any type of scrutiny or complications that will keep the NFL from starting on time. There's always going to be the fear. There's always going to be the worry of how many people are going to attend these games. But let's face it, if there's one thing we can say about football, and, and perhaps this is just what's so significant about football, is that when the Super Bowl is done, there is this long hiatus behind when we see any form <laughs> of football put together. Yeah. We, 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 we marvel at the NFL draft. That's how desperate <laughs> we are to see any sign of football. And I, right. I, I can tell you right now, I could probably ramble on all day about football uh, until I'm blue in the face. But the truth of the matter is <laughs> the NFL does not miss a beat when it comes to the program itself being on time, which is ironic because everything else seems to falter, but the NFL still somehow financially stays intact. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> whether this, whether this was just something that just by fate just happened to start at a – time after the Super Bowl. And it seems like things will pick up at the right time for the NFL to start on time. It just adds to the fire of how many of us, how many fans, sports fans in general, just cannot wait to see a football thrown on the field.
0: Yeah. Yeah, man. I, you know, I, I agree completely. I mean, there may be a slight delay, but there's going to be a 16 game football season. I mean, I, I will bet. I will bet whatever I have on that because you know, as you point out, man, fo- football is pretty much America, and uh, we're not gonna, you know, we could we could maybe do with a little bit of less basketball, maybe a little less baseball, but yeah, you know, come on, football is football, and we're you know we're gonna figure it out. So uh, that's right, and that goes for college football too. I can't I can't Absolutely. imagine like an Alabama, you know, those Southern schools. Yeah, I, I can't see them saying, oh, we're we're not gonna play this season. You know, come on, that's not gonna happen. <laughs>
1: And that's a good point because for what I understand, I believe it's the first of June that they're gonna reopen these schools to allow these football players to go back into practicing and, and the conditioning. So yeah. We, yeah. we understand yeah. where the market lies when it comes to sports. And we also understand that football seems to be prevalent over a lot of other things going on, including the coronavirus. Now, I don't wanna talk yeah. blasphemous, <laughs> but the truth of the matter is, huh? There are people that are willing to take a chance to get football started in spite of what we could contract when it comes to the virus. But I I have to believe that people are so optimistic that things will be taken care of where the thought of of contracting something like that seems nil. So as long as they're comfortable with it, I'm comfortable with it. And I'm sure you are as well to see that football is going to start on time and with everybody pretty much there at camp. I can't see anybody holding out. I can't see anybody that's you know fighting over money. I think everybody's gonna be ready to go by that time.
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and it's gonna be they'll figure something out. I mean, it you know obviously during the course of a game you can't social distance, but um, you know maybe you have you have good testing of all the players. Maybe uh, at least at the pro level, I can see where they come to some agreement where you know instead of having eighty thousand in the stands. Uh, it's half of that, or some some lesser number, so you can have a good distance. I can't see that in college football. Actually, I I cannot see anything but a packed house in college football. And uh, yeah, you know we'll see. But I, can't, you know, but they're gonna. get – I mean, because college football they rely a lot more on on the fans, and you know that just that's that just is what it is. Particularly in certain certain regions of the country where college football is religion. Uh, Absolutely. It, you know, you're not gonna see any less. Yeah, yeah. So it That's right. It'll be interesting to see though, man. But I I'm looking forward to this season for a lot of reasons. Uh, you know, we've had a lot of uh a lot of movement in the um in the league. Uh one of my favorite players has uh unfortunately packed his bags and moved to Tampa. So uh
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm dying to hear what you have to say about that before I give my take. I'm dying to hear uh, what well, you're I, I huh? it. With-
0: I could go into that quickly. I'm a huge Patriots fan. I've been one my entire life. I'm not a bad manga dude. I've been I've been a Pats fan since uh, since they had Jim Plunkett in 1973, mm. 72. So wow. uh, you know, I go way back. I go way back with them, and yes, uh, I, I I am eager to see what they look like without Tom Brady. And I'm also very eager to see what Tom Brady does without without uh Belichick. And and I'll be honest, I'm actually rooting more for Tom Brady probably at probably at least at this point. That I am Belichick. And uh, mm-hmm. I'll explain why. I just as much as I love the Patriots, I, I you know, I've never really liked Bill Belichick, quite frankly, uh, mm-hmm. as a person. I think he's I think he's ridiculous. And uh, <laughs> I would like to see I would like to see Tom Brady prove that, uh, you know, he can win without Belichick and, you know, and, and kill that argument once and for all that, it, you know, oh, it's just a system. It's just Belichick. I mean, I, I think that's just crazy uh, considering the success that Brady's had. Um you know, in throughout his career and, and you point to instances like what was it? The, uh, the Eagles Super Bowl where Brady threw for 500 yards and Belichick's defense couldn't stop Nick Foles. So, you know, I, I look at those kind of things and say, you know, let, let's see. Let's see who really was the, uh, the main the main ingredient of that success. Right. And it, it, you bring up some good points. And, you know,
1: I, I think this is the part where we agree to disagree. Because I have to believe the reason why Tom Brady is who he is is in large part because of what Belichick was able to put together over a twenty-year span. And let's let's go back a little bit when Tom Brady was first introduced. It wasn't as though Tom Brady started Week One of that season that no. they won the Super Bowl. Right? It it was it was by fate that Bledsoe gets hurt, Brady comes in, and he's able to understand the plays. And whether they dumped it down for Brady, which I doubt, whether they were able to find a way to make something work for Tom Brady, it's proven that for what Belichick was able to do, this is why I call him the mastermind in the NFL, he was able to construct a, a system that worked around Tom Brady. And I got to believe if he's able to do that, with what he had with Tom Brady for 20 seasons, I think if he decides to, let's just say hypothetically Belichick coaches for another 10 seasons. I think he can do the same thing with another six rounder, fifth rounder, seventh rounder talent to go out there and execute those plays as he did with Tom Brady, which is why I give the nod to Belichick because Belichick has been around long enough to know what to do, regardless of team, regardless of personnel and execute barely. I mean, Fairly perfectly. I mean, it, for, for for the for the stint that he had. For, I mean, let's give a little bit of credit to Belichick. For what he did with he he he. Listen, he probably should not have won that Super Bowl against the Falcons, and I, I'm just I'm just pointing that out because they were beat that that's that Super Bowl against the Falcons. Uh, yeah, twenty to three. Right. That's right. <laughs> Midway through the third quarter, they were done. I said, stick a fork in these guys. And it just so happens Mm -hmm. Belichick does enough with the defense and probably motivates Brady just enough to call the right plays to win that Super Bowl. And I I said, well, that was the time where we saw Brady start to diminish.
0: So yeah, I, I, I just couldn't that- I could not disagree more. I couldn't disagree more. I, I respectfully, <laughs> I, think, I think we actually would have nine Super Bowls, but for Belichick. And I know everybody. Wow, say what talking about.
1: that's quite a but statement. Absolutely,
0: I think, I think Belichick has made some glaring mistakes that are overlooked because he has his reputation as his greatest coach ever. He's gotten rid of players well before he should have. I mean, who's who's led the league in sacks for the last four years? Do you know who that is? It's, uh, Chandler Jones, you. who we just gave away. We just gave him away, Chandler Jones, for the uh, Arizona Cardinals. We just gave right. him away for nothing. So it makes no sense. He's done that with a few players. He decided because of his ego to bench Malcolm Butler in the Super Bowl, which led to right. Nick Foles having a career game. You know, he choked, right. I think, against both both Giants Super Bowls where he was coaching like real tight, in my opinion, and allowed this you know stupid Giants to uh, to win the uh, to win those Super Bowls. <laughs> so. I, you know, I think, and also even with the Falcons Super Bowl, I mean, why why were we in a twenty eight to three hole? Because I mean, well, Brady did throw a pick six, but at the same time, the defense wasn't really uh, wasn't really stopping anybody. So right. I think I think you know I think Bell- no Belichick's a good coach. I don't mean to sound like I don't think he's like, like he's a bum. I mean, obviously, he's a Hall of Fame coach, but I think right. that we tend to overlook some of his mistakes and fixate on some of the mistakes Brady makes because you know because Brady's on the field and you can see every mistake he makes. Whereas mm-hmm. uh Belichick can make a mistake in terms of uh play calling, in terms of uh scheming, and uh, you know, it doesn't get that same attention. I mean, you know, I'm like I said, I'm a dire Patriots fan, so I know I know the full history. You just look at last season where uh Brady put us up the last game of the season against the Dolphins and you know the Belichick defense couldn't stop uh you know Fitzpatrick from going eighty yards to score a winning touchdown. You know, and that's the difference between a two seed and a and a, and a three seed. You know, a, a bye week. So, mm-hmm. you know, there have been, been some shortcomings. I guess that's that's all I'll say. And i I think we got off a little track here. This wasn't even on our uh, on our schedule and stuff to talk <laughs> about. But it's, but it's all good. <laughs> yeah, it's it's, it's all good. it's all
1: banter. It's it it, it does it does yeah. bring out the fact that we know just how good Tom Brady has been over the last twenty years. And we can't help but dwell on some of these things that might be off subject a bit, but it it's it's just interesting to just dig into because you're just you curious to know what everybody else is thinking
0: as well. Right, right. And I just I think like everybody, you, me, everybody in the world, or at least the football world, just wants to see what happens. Because like yeah, you said, for the last 20 years, yeah, Belichick and Brady have been together, joined at the hip. So let's see how each of them are able to make out without each other. So uh right. I like to also, just at this point, since we're talking football, I know you are, and that, that's how we uh, really got acquainted. You're like a, you know, I'm, I'm going to give you this uh, this praise, whether you like it or not. You are like a fantasy football guru, I will say. Well, uh, <laughs> thank you. you know, I'll take that. Yeah, you are. <laughs> no problem. You're, you're the co- you're commissioner of the <laughs> league uh, that we had, <laughs> and always, always <laughs> in, was always in the mix for the championship, without a doubt, so... <laughs> yeah. uh, you know? So that's 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 Kevin's nickname, the commission. So the uh, that's right. That's, it. that's right. That's I, it's, that's funny, right. So, it's funny you
1: brought that up, too, because I want to just add to that. I've actually self-proclaimed myself as the Belichick of fantasy football as well. I, I don't know if you <laughs> saw that. <laughs> I have actually the Belichick of fantasy football. Okay. But I digress, uh, so let's move on from that. <laughs> uh, that's cool, that's cool, that's
0: cool. Uh, so, yeah, I just wanted to talk about fantasy football. And I my understanding is uh, I, what I'd like to do with you, and I, we, we had talked about this, is going forward, particularly once we get the green light on football, Kevin and I will do a fantasy football show where I'll, you know, you can pick his brain and uh, we'll talk some fantasy football, you know, players you might want to get, players you might not want to get. Uh, That kind of stuff. So we'll we'll, uh, just wanted to give a plug for that uh, for that fantasy football show that'll be coming up. And also, Kevin, I think you're going to have your own. uh, You're going to be doing your own uh, sports show on uh, Facebook. Is that right? You want to talk about that a bit? That is correct. I am
1: doing a Facebook series, as I label it. Uh, This stems from a radio show that I had a few years back that was discontinued, and I want to try to continue it so that people can follow me. Just uh, on- online as well as you know, if you're in your car, you just happen to hear it. Uh, it's iltal Vibe, which I've labeled the Facebook series, which starts June 1st. Of which I will have my pilot show, and then every Friday, starting the 5th of June, I believe it is, I will have my evening show. It's going to be a uh evening show, late time show from 10:30, 11 o'clock p.m which I'll touch a half hour on events that are going on in today's world along with sports. So at some point, I will be touching on fantasy football and the NFL itself, along with other things that
0: transpire throughout the course of the week. Okay. Okay. Good. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that, man. I'd like to definitely get some uh, – hear, hear I heard the L-Town L- Vibe show, and I know that's uh, that was a good uh, show on the radio, so – Definitely looking forward to it. Uh, my only word of advice in terms of fantasy football is if you're drafting, never uh, draft uh, Bilal Powell first. That's uh, my, my <laughs> only advice. Or Or Troy <laughs> Brown.
1: Well, I, I, I Troy know, Brown. I don't know if <laughs> Troy Brown was drafted first. round. Good, was Larry's it the same stuff. guy who drafted Bilal Powell? Yes. Uh, yes, it was. <laughs> yes all right. Was. <laughs> we'll,
0: we'll leave names out of it.
1: But uh, yeah. That's right. That's right.
0: That's right. I, I, won't, I won't mention his name. <laughs> no, no, no. That's that hilarious. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, no. Go, go for the big names. There's no there's no secret to that part if you got the first <laughs> or first round. That's that's what yeah. I would do. Yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. So uh let's let's talk, you know, quickly um and because we've got to wrap up in a little bit, but uh in yeah. terms of the I know it's way, way too early, but let's talk about like your predictions for the playoffs and I'd like to get a Super Bowl prediction out of Okay, uh, Super Bowl prediction. I am looking at
1: Kansas City. Kansas City right now has the elements to have another successful season. It's 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 nothing regarding the schedule that they have right now. I haven't even looked at their schedule. But they still have Andy Reid. They still have Patrick Mahomes. They've kept a lot of those guys on offense. And they did, dare I say, spruce up their defense. So I like their chances, even coming out of that division. I don't think anybody really improves in the AFC West. Uh, I, I like yeah. Kansas City, for the sake of arguing, to be a force and a factor in the in the Super Bowl. And the NFC is really wide open. It's a crapshoot with the NFC. Uh, I, I really can't put my finger on one team. Even though people are saying the 49ers. I don't think they make it back to the Super Bowl in large part because I don't think they do enough with Garoppolo to give him the confidence to be able to go out there and successfully take the team back to the Super Bowl. Now, I'd be surprised if that does happen because it it could happen. But in the Mm -hmm. NFC, I think it's wide open regarding which teams. I'm looking at Minnesota. I'm looking at Green Bay for what Aaron Rodgers may want to try to do to prove a point. Yeah, Dallas. Yeah, he's going to be be very motivated this year. He's going to have something to prove. Uh, I've always, I've always given a nod to the NFC West and who comes out of that division. Uh, Last year, I did pick the Seahawks to make it to the Super Bowl, and I honestly believe if they had won that game on Monday night, uh, the game that I think they lost at Seattle against San Francisco, I might have been right. But that was a determinant factor of them winning, uh, I think, a first seed or a second seed in the playoffs. But nonetheless, uh, I like Seattle's chances only because of what they do year in and year out. And uh, I think I'll just go with that for now. Uh, I'll probably go more into it as the, as the season goes on. But I like Seattle. I like Kansas City. Just right off the top of my head.
0: Okay, Well, that's interesting because uh, we're we're kind of on the same page. I I you know as much as I don't want to admit it, I think Kansas City. Um, there obviously is there's no such thing as a lock in pro football, but um, no no one else in the East. I mean, excuse me, no one else in the AFC really got better to the extent you can see them beating uh, Kansas City. Maybe Buffalo, believe it or not, I think Buffalo made some improvements and uh, they have a pretty good D. I mean, but you know that's a long shot. I, so I, I would have to, as much as I don't want to, I would have to probably go with Kansas City making it back. Um, and on the and the NFC, I say the same thing. It is pretty wide open. Um, I don't see, I don't see San Francisco getting back. I think the way they lost that Super Bowl, which I mean, I think they really could have won or should have won. Oh, I mean, absolutely, they should week. have won that. All of a sudden, they want to start throwing the ball. I mean, they haven't, they haven't thrown the ball in three weeks. <laughs> All of a sudden, they want to start throwing the ball. In three weeks. <laughs> 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 It's exactly. Just, uh, I don't understand that part, but uh, but I, I love Seattle. Russell Wilson's probably um, you know one of my favorite, if not my favorite, current player right now. I mean, that guy goes out there and does magic. you know, just creates magic with nothing every week. It's just really amazing to watch him do what he does. Uh, but it is loaded in the NFC, and I, honestly, I'm looking at Tampa Bay in terms of adding Brady and Gar- uh, not Garoppolo and Gronkowski. To uh to Evans and uh Godwin and the other tight ends. I mean, they they are loaded on the offensive side of the ball. They just got to get a serviceable running back, and uh, I don't see how you stop them. And and the defense is pretty good. But what they gotta go through, they gotta go through the Saints, they gotta go through the Falcons just to get out of their division. So I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna, you know what? I'm I'm gonna land where you landed. I'm gonna say Seattle and uh Kansas City. You know, I think that might be a simple ball. And I I think it's fair because you see both
1: bodies of work and what they've contributed to the league for so long. Uh, You saw what Kansas City has done over the last few years. They lost that AFC Championship game to your beloved Patriots that year. And then it just seemed (laughs) to go from that point (laughs) on, Kansas City just seemed to always be in the running. And and now I think it's their time to show what type of work they could put together. So I think it's just fair to say Kansas City. And and the same could be said about Seattle. For what they've done in their time period and what they can do
0: moving forward as well. So I think we're on the same page. Yeah, I mean I Russell, agree with that. Russell Wilson is so overlooked, man. I mean, since he's come in the league, I don't think he's ever won less than ten games. I mean, he he is just uh he's a beast. But you know, you don't he, he doesn't get that same love that a lot of guys get. Yeah, he he's he's definitely a winner. Um, the only thing is though, and I think we both agree with this caveat, is that unlike basketball, every NFL team is like one injury away from you know five You know, five less wins. You know, so that's true. You got to keep that in mind. You know, you never know. Obviously, we're not wishing anyone gets hurt or anything, but things do happen during the course of a season, and that could that could derail you know your best plan. So you never know. But I I think, yeah, I I wouldn't mind seeing. And honestly, I wouldn't mind seeing a Kansas City, Seattle Super Bowl. That that would be you know Russell Wilson versus uh, Pat Mahomes would be uh, extremely entertaining.
1: Yes, and Um, considering the fact uh, that, that they were both in the running for MVP. Of uh, the league, I think it just adds a little bit more fuel to that, that you want to see a good game. You want to see two two teams knock it out with two great quarterbacks.
0: Absolutely. I'd be, alternatively, I'd like to see Tampa Bay versus uh, Kansas City or Tampa Bay versus New England. That would be, <laughs> that would be my I, idea. I
1: wonder why.
0: I don't think the Patriots are going to, I don't think the Pats are going to smell the Super Bowl uh, for the next couple of years, at least because uh, it's they got it's going to be tough, but we'll see. You never know. But Bottle Chick is a genius, and he'll figure something out. You never know.
1: Absolutely, you're never right. right so. All right,
0: right, cool, man. I think this has been a great, great conversation. Uh, hopefully, you know any uh, you know all the listeners will enjoy it as well. This is the first episode of Under Review, and uh, we hope to bring this to you uh, a few times. And before we leave, I just want to say or remind everyone that uh, Kevin's show, Illtown Vibes, will be going on Facebook Live uh, starting June first at uh i'm sorry what time is that again Kevin? it'll be a late night show it'll be 10 30 p.m to 11 p.m okay 10 30 to 11 on uh facebook live ill town vibes it should be a pretty good show and uh make sure you, you tune in for it and i will say uh with that i'll say good day and uh we'll talk to you next time take care